Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. <coughs> when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Well, life impacts us, doesn't it? If we live in this world, we are going to be facing all sorts of struggles, all sorts of difficulties. It's just the reality of life in this world. We are relational beings. We are physical beings. We're intellectual beings. That's the way God has created us. And we get inputs through all of those things, the relationships we have, the exercise we do, the jobs we engage in, the books, movies, whatever it is. We engage with the world and that is because we were created for this world, to live in this world. But it was to live in this world under God. And of course in a post-fall world, that means we are going to live with brokenness. And we're going to live with that relationally, physically, intellectually, all of those ways because that is the reality also that we live in now, a fallen world. <clears throat> two, uh, two years ago, almost, uh, probably almost to the, to the month, um, I saw something on my leg and I thought, oh, that's rather interesting, uh, in a not interesting way, if you catch my drift. <clears throat> and I went to the doctor and she said, oh, that's interesting. I don't know what that is. That's not a good sign, is it? <laughs> so she said, I'm going to cut it out and we'll find out what it is. So that's what she did. She cut it out and sent it away. Anyway, I, um, uh, I had to go off on a bishop's con uh, executive council meeting for, that, uh, for a couple of days. And that's while... the same sort of way? 
<laughs> and while I'm, we were in a restaurant, I get this telephone call. You know the telephone call that you really don't want to get? And uh, I have a lovely doctor, and she was very, very upset for me. And she said, oh, look, it's a, um, it's a melanoma, it's invasive, and I've booked you in uh, next week to a surgeon to, to cut it out. So I said, okay, that's sort of interesting news. But it's funny, isn't it, how when you get told that you have a potentially fatal illness, it sharpens the mind. <laughs> and so I did actually have to stop and think, gee, if I was going to have only six to eight months, what would I do with those six to eight months? And I realised, actually, I would keep on doing the exact thing that I am doing at the moment. But that's not always the case with people, is it? Quite often we do struggle with the problems that we face in this world. And that's exactly the issue that's happening here in Psalm 73 with Asaph. Uh, it's the problem of evil, or that sounds a bit harsh in this thing. It's probably just the problem of bad behaviour. And, of course, the question that often people ask is, well, why do bad things happen to good people? I reckon the trickier question is... Why do good things happen to bad people? And that's what Asaph is wrestling with here in Psalm 73. Why do these rotten people seem to have it so good? How come I get smited with melanomas when there's even worse people? That was a bit Freudian, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm trailing my coat now. There's other bad people. There's just bad people out there. Surely I'm not one of those. And poor old Asaph, he says it here in verses 3 to 5. I envied the arrogant. Actually, I'll back up a step because he's actually said something in verse 2 and 3. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Yeah, that's a good blanket statement. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw... The prosperity of the wicked. I was envious of these people. In verses 3 to 5 he goes on to say, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. They don't get telephone calls after dinner saying that you've got a fatal disease. And in verse 12, he goes on. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. And it's a, that is a problem, isn't it? And Asaph has, has identified it in this psalm. God is good. He's opened that with that sentence. But why is it that these bad people, they seem to get the blessings in this world? They don't do it tough. In fact, verse 6 and following would seem to imply that the villains actually thrive. Never mind them falling off the perch or getting bad things happen to them. They actually seem to do better and better in this world. Look at verse 6 in there. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. 
This is not ordinary people just bumping along in life. These are serious bad doers who seem to have it so good in this world. Not only are the evildoers not getting punished for what they're doing, but they are thriving. They do all these wicked things and their life just gets better and better for them. But it gets worse because not only are they thriving, but they've got their little acolytes. They've got all their little supporters who say, wow, look at these evildoers. They're doing all right. I think I should join them. And they do. Look at verse 10. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They see these things that are going on around them, the wickedness, but it doesn't even click in their minds that it's wicked. They just see the good things that these people are getting. And so they say, I'm in for that too. Sign me up. I want to be part of that. They drink up the waters of these evil people in abundance. They even scoff at God. Verse 11. These, these people who are drinking the waters of the evildoers say, How can God know? Does the Most High God have knowledge? They join in and they disregard God. There is a little bit of irony, though, in that uh, verse, isn't there? How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Just hold that thought for a little while. Back in those days, there was this um, theology that uh, if you were good, you got blessed, and if you, got, if you were bad, you got punished. Now, when I say back in those days there was that theology, I'm actually thinking... No, maybe it's around today. And it is, isn't it? Yeah. If you do the right thing, you be good, you, yeah, God will bless you. Uh, you will be prosperous. And that's okay, unless you're on the receiving end like poor old Asif. Yeah. What have I done wrong? The good get blessed. That's the general theology of the time. The bad get punished. But that doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, quite frequently throughout the scriptures, that is not the case, isn't it? Look at Job. He got tough. Look at Jeremiah. Yeah, every time he said something from God, he got into deeper strife. Life is not smooth. There is not this link between being good and being blessed. And Asaph is starting to catch that idea. There's a hint in there that this is this theology that everyone else is hanging around with, which is why everyone goes trotting after the wicked people. That's why they do it, because they look, well... These wicked people, their lives are good, therefore they must be being blessed by God. But Asaph knows that cannot possibly be true. God does know what's going on. And here is a caution. You can say, how can God know? But that is a very, very dangerous thought. It's very dangerous to question whether you really can get away with things before God. And as I said, there's a little bit of an irony there, isn't it? How can the Most High understand? If he's the Most High, logically, he is going to understand, isn't he? If we lowly creatures understand a little bit, surely the Most High is going to know everything. So from their own lips, they are bringing the judgment down on their on themselves. 
They foolishly say, how can God know? But in the very next sentence, they tell us how God knows, because he is the most high. Asaph knows that. And it's about here that we're going to get a change of perspective for our psalm writer. But before I go and talk about that, do you ever get depressed by the world? Do you ever think, God, what are you doing in this place? I I cannot believe it. Just take this morning, for instance. I wake up and I always listen to Radio National, and um, they were talking about the fair work hearing for Peter Thompson. Now, I don't know if you follow politics or whatever, but why does it take three years to find out that this guy has been using his credit card for dodgy behaviour. And that, I go, what goes through my mind there is, that is just blatant politics. And they're just trying to protect themselves. What is going on here? Now, as we move closer to our home down here in Tasmania, what is going on when you get a report uh, put out that says, well, we actually should start closing some of the schools that are creating problems in the education department. And then the government of the day says, yes, that's an excellent idea. And we're going to do that in 2014, probably about six months after we've been booted out of office. Just, that is just pure, cynical politicking. Redefinition of marriage. How many times in Tasmania have we had the so-called marriage equality debate in this state? And every time, it gets pushed off the book. But another little group of people push it back up again. Um, just, this is a bit of an aside, I deliberately call it the redefinition of marriage. Not marriage equality. Uh, it's got nothing to do with equality. It's the uh, forces of evil wanting to redefine what God has instituted. So if anyone sort of talks to you about marriage equality, correct them and say, no, no, this is about the redefinition of marriage. That's an aside. But I just go crazy when I hear this sort of stuff. Euthanasia, three times in Tasmania. And Asaph is right there. Why do these evil people get away with it? Surely in vain, he says, verse 13, I've kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. But look at verse 15, what happens next. If I had said this, said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. The thought of going down the path of the wicked causes him distress. It would be a sellout if he actually did the things that they were doing. Not just a sellout of God, but his people. You notice that? God's family. He says, I was, if I was to speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Our topic today is about how do you keep on ministering. I want to just sort of toss up a warning at this particular time just to say unfaithfulness has consequences. Um, Be aware of that. If you're a Christian leader, your unfaithfulness will have huge ramifications far, far beyond what you actually think you are doing at a time of, of sinfulness. You are letting down God's family. Well, what snaps him out of this evil envy? Verse 17. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I finally understood their destiny. 
What happens to him? He has intimacy with God. He enters the sanctuary. He goes into a time of worshipping and connecting with God. And then the reality bites home. God does know. God is controlled. God is the one who is ruling over this world. Oh, I would have been a fool if I had, had neglected that. And so he comes in those times where you're gathering together at, with God's people. In church, gathering there, getting to... It shows you that you're not alone. That's what happens on a Sunday morning. You're not alone. When you uh, have your own quiet time, God is speaking through his word to you. In your small group, there's that fellowship and challenge to your life. You're entering into an intimacy with God. And the... Hopefully, the penny will drop. Well, there's a number of insights that follow from this intimacy with God. Insight number one for Asaph, verse 18. The wicked are on a slippery ground and they are under God's judgment because he does see. Verse 18 to 20. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one wakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise their fantasies. They are on slippery ground. God will judge. Insight number two, grief and jealousy lead to bitterness and ignorance. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. There is no value in jealousy or grieving over what you don't have and looking jealously at what others have. Insight three, God is always there. I, I was really struck by, um, by that verse that says, Yet I am always with you, you hold me by my right hand. Verse 23. It's an interesting way because we often think of or hear this thing, God is always with you. But Asaph says... I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. And when I was thinking about that, it really struck me as, as unusual, isn't it? Because it usually is the other way around. And uh, I think what Asif is saying here is the light is going on for him. This is a aha moment. It's the fatherly goodness of God. It's like a dad taking his kid to school, you know, holding their hands. This is a very personal observation. I am always with you. I am in this place. Even if I think you're far away. No, 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 no. I am with you. I may wander off, but you are always close by. This is God's action, not mine. God is there. Well, the ultimate reality, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, that verse was my aha moment two years ago. Uh, I was sort of confined to, um, to our bedroom upstairs because I had to keep my legs because I had these. I ended up having four melanomas taken off both legs, and uh, I had these, <laughs> these um, uh, donor sites which had to have my legs elevated so that I wouldn't get a thrombosis and die in my sleep or something like that. But so I was upstairs and I had to spend a lot of time sitting around. And so in my quiet time one day, that was the verse that really leapt out at me. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. 
the reading that went along with it at the exact same time was Philippians chapter 1. Let me just read. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How often have you heard that that verse? But quite often people stop at that particular verse, don't they? Um, But Paul goes on, verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Um, little tip, um, fellas, and it probably works for the ladies too. Don't ever tell your wife when she has just heard that you have a near-fatal um, uh, carcinoma that this is actually really good news because you're going to be with Jesus real soon. <laughs> they take the opposite thing. Hold on a second. <laughs> you might be, but I'm still stuck down here. <laughs> So, tip. Um, so Paul is saying, I'm torn between the two. And here's the part which better, smarter, wiser people than me have obviously got together. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Um, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. I think what Paul is saying is... Oh, Guys, I just love, I, I, I look forward to what God is going to have for us in heaven. That's really what I, I'm, I long for. This earth has no desire for me, but that does. But while I'm here, he's got work for me to do, and I'm going to do it. So Asaph's reality and ours, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Verse 28. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Friends, life impacts us. We cannot escape it. But how we live will depend on where we're looking. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would be encouraging us, strengthening us for all the tasks that you have for us in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.